as if the year hadn't been difficult enough. Pain and sorrow gripped even tighter around the hearts of Arnold and Teddy Rose, standing among a handful of distant relatives. Arnold's father was slowly being lowered into the ground. The second family member the Roses had buried this year, the previous being Arnold's wife, Teddy's mother, not six months earlier. In truth, the past few years had been rather turbulent for the Roses, starting with the death of Arnold's mother. Arnold's father, Frank, had a difficult time adjusting to life without her, for life before her was a distant relic, eclipsed by their 60 years of happy marriage. Although Frank struggled, he found comfort in frequenting flea markets and antique road shows. Frank had an eye for overlooked but valuable items, which he bought for cheap and sold for a small profit. It wasn't much, but it kept his body and mind busy, and that helped. At a particular point, Frank's habits took a sharp turn, and he became increasingly attracted to gambling. He won a little money, but lost a lot more. Frank's sporadic behavior took its toll on Arnold and his family. As Arnold put off basic expenses to spot his father money when he needed it, daily life was rather inconsistent for the Roses at this time. The only consistency was Frank's unwavering optimism that everything would work out because the big ticket was just one win away. Arnold didn't want to enable his father, but his weak will and kind heart, in combination with his father's persistence, caused him to do just that. Arnold once even delayed replacing brake pads on the family car to give his father money for an antique dresser that Frank called, quote, the steel of the century. Arnold knew in his heart that this was not true, but handed over $200 anyway, because thinking about his father sloping back into depression hurt a lot more than having to press a little harder on the brakes to slow down. In the end, Frank either spent or gambled away all of Arnold's inheritance, and the only thing left was the house. It was better than nothing, but the painful memories that accompanied it outweighed the good ones. Arnold and Teddy sat in the empty house after the funeral and said nothing to each other. The two were very close and took comfort in silence, along with their mutual understanding of one another. Teddy had planned on applying to universities in the summer, but the thought of leaving his father all by himself put those plans on the back burner. Being in that house and trying to resume life proved too difficult for Arnold and Teddy, so they made the decision to sell it and move to the city for a much-needed change of environment. Teddy and Arnold began packing things up and throwing things away in anticipation for the move to L.A., Bakersfield was a pleasant place, but for the Roses, it was just time to go. While in the attic, rummaging through endless boxes of junk, Arnold came across a large, flat box, seemingly containing one item. He opened the box to reveal a framed oil painting. Arnold brought the painting to the light and inspected it further. In the light, 
the image of the painting immediately captivated him. He was completely in awe of the spectacle he was holding. Teddy! he shouted. Come look at this! Teddy entered the attic and said, What is it, Dad? Look at this painting I just found. Isn't it neat? Teddy looked at the painting and was astonished by it right away. The image depicted an angel among the clouds with golden beams of light shining from the heavens. There were no doubts that it was a beautiful painting, but Teddy's concentration was interrupted when he looked at his father. Arnold's gaze over the angelic painting had totally consumed him. With his mouth slightly ajar and his eyes wide open, his face held an expression which Teddy had never seen before, and it concerned him. He said, Dad, what are you doing? Uh, what? Nothing, just look. It's pretty neat, huh? Yeah, you said that already. Come on, let's go downstairs. A few days later, the moving truck arrived to pick up their belongings and bring the roses to L.A. While loading their things into the truck, Teddy caught his father taking another look at the painting. That same clumsy expression of pure infatuation overtaking Arnold made Teddy feel nervous. On the long drive to their new city, Teddy could feel a fresh, heightened sense of optimism. He wanted to believe it was true, but part of him couldn't help but worry that this new chapter of their life may also be troublesome. The new home in Los Angeles was bright and welcoming, quite a bit smaller than their old home, but much newer, a change of scene and energy that was necessary for the roses. Arnold wasted no time in making arrangements for the painting. He scheduled an appointment to see an art dealer, simply to get the piece appraised and see if it was worth anything. Jeez, Dad, what is it with you in that thing? Don't you want to settle in a bit first? What? I just want to see if it's worth something. Who knows? Maybe we're sitting on a gold mine. Maybe it's our big ticket. God, you sound like Grandpa. Hearing his father talk like this worried Teddy even more. It reminded him of how difficult the past few years had been. The death of his grandfather and the death of his mother. The following Monday, Teddy accompanied his father to the art house. Arnold was ripe with excitement at the idea that the painting was valuable, to the point that Teddy rolled his eyes at him during the car ride over. They arrived at the location and entered a beautiful gallery encased by floor-length windows. A tremendously high ceiling rose over two stories to reveal a mezzanine floor which held aisles upon aisles of what the Roses imagined to be expensive art. The gallery was full of luxurious paintings and sculptures, which Arnold and Teddy found very intimidating. A tall, slender man in a dark blue suit made his way out onto the floor and said, Good afternoon, you must be Arnold Rose. It's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Jonathan McCormick. Well, hey there, Jonathan. It's nice to meet you, too. This is my son, Teddy. Welcome, Arnold and Teddy. Please, come with me into my office. The three walked to the back of the gallery and into Jonathan's exquisite office. So, Mr. Rose, please tell me, where do you come from? Well, we originally come from Bakersfield, but we just moved here to the city for a little change of pace. Oh, excellent. 
It must be so refreshing to get out of that dusty little town. Yeah, you could say that. My secretary tells me that you are in possession of an original Scully. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what she meant by that, so uh, I just said yes. But I do have something very interesting here. So you are not in possession of a Sean Scully painting? Uh, no, but my father recently passed away, and I found this in the attic with all his old stuff. Jonathan's brow furrowed the moment Arnold said this, and did not release until he pulled the painting out of the box. As soon as he did, all tension in the room subsided, and the focus of both parties switched solely to the painting. Oh, wow, that is interesting, said Jonathan, as he quickly put on his glasses. Where did your father get this? No idea. I just found it with all his old stuff and thought it might be worth something. Isn't it great? Yes, it really is. Do you know who the artist is or when it was painted? Don't know who, don't know when. But right when I saw it, I knew it was something special. Maybe you can find out if it's worth anything. Jonathan's eyes never left the painting after Arnold took it out of the box. Teddy noticed this and became fearful of the strong and sudden attraction the painting drew from those it came in contact with. I'm going to need to take a closer look before I can talk figures with you, Mr. Rose, but I can assure you that it's worth something, and I'll get the best price for it if you choose to sell. Why, that sounds wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Yes, of course. It's my pleasure, Mr. Rose. If you'd like to leave it here, I can have my people examine it and determine the specifics. Uh, well, okay, sure. That sounds good. Ah, splendid. Let me walk you out to the front. As the roses were escorted out of the gallery, Arnold's giddiness began to increase, at the thought of his painting being worth a large sum of money. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time to meet us, you know, with us being new in town and all. Anything for a fellow lover of art, Mr. Rose. Teddy and Arnold got into their car and drove off, Arnold with more excitement than before, and Teddy with more concern. On the way home, they stopped by an electronics store to get Teddy a new computer for his college applications. While they were there, Arnold bought himself a tape recorder for no reason other than because he felt like it. It was an impulsive purchase, something Arnold almost never did. Afterwards, they ate at a Caribbean restaurant near their home. Arnold thoroughly enjoyed himself, even though eating exotic food was another thing he almost never did. Mmm. The food's great, Jameson. I never had plantains before. <laughs> Glad you liked them. Welcome to the neighborhood, you guys. At home, Arnold played with his new tape recorder. His blind enthusiasm overtook him. <laughs> well, it's another sunny day in beautiful Los Angeles. We're here at our new home. Change of pace, change of scenery. I just tried plantains for the first time and made a new friend, Jameson. And I think the rest of the day is going to be pretty good, too. Teddy listened from the other room, baffled by what he was hearing. Where was this newly found energy coming from? And where would it take his father? The following day, while Teddy was out looking for a summer job, Arnold drove around to see the sights in the city. He cruised slowly down Rodeo Drive and observed beautiful women walking down the street with their high-heeled shoes and expensive handbags. He drove alongside foreign sports cars in his modest Toyota Prius, 
and quietly came to a stop at the light. It was there he was reminded, by the time his father asked him for the money to buy an antique dresser, the money that was meant to buy new brake pads for the family car, for it was only two days later that Arnold got the call. An officer from the Bakersfield Police Department rang Arnold to tell him that his wife had gotten into a terrible car accident. She was hit by a drunk driver who ran a red light at the intersection. Arnold rushed to the hospital, only to find her in a coma with little hope for recovery. She lay asleep for two weeks before slipping away in the night. Deep sorrow and confusion came over Arnold much like his father, he knew little of a life without his other half. And to make matters worse, Arnold always blamed himself for the accident, even though it was clear that the other driver was intoxicated and he was the one who committed the traffic violation. Arnold wondered how things would be different if he had just changed the brake pads. Would the accident have been as bad? Would Teddy still have a mother? The light turned green and Arnold's attention diverted away from this memory and toward the long row of designer clothing stores that lined the street. He had never owned anything from any of these stores before and wondered what it would be like. Meanwhile, Jonathan McCormick sat in his office, staring at Arnold's painting with unbroken concentration. He was completely taken by its impossible beauty. Heavenly shades of blue formed the sky as clouds of white unfurled from the bottom of the painting. Rays of light that seemed to jump out of the frame and into reality served as the backdrop for the angelic being. This angel, a most beautiful figure, hovered weightlessly among the clouds. Its gentle expression and calming demeanor gave comfort to the viewer, as if to say, I am here for you, and only you, as my protection and blessing belonged to no one else. Jonathan yearned to know when this painting was made, who the artist was, and how a simpleton like Arnold came into possession of it. It angered Jonathan to think that Arnold proudly considered himself the founder of this piece. He was not worthy of such a treasure, therefore did not deserve it. Arnold hadn't the knowledge or respect to properly admire a piece of art as grand as this, and for that reason, Jonathan decided he would pay any price or do anything to make the painting his own. A week went by, and Jonathan did nothing to learn more about the painting. He dared not call on one of his expert colleagues to look at the painting and learn more about it. He feared others would become obsessed with it, in the same way he had, and try to take it away from him. Jonathan decided to wait and tell promising words to Arnold about its value. He would then give Arnold just enough money to make him happy and secure the painting for himself. It was during this week that Teddy got a job, working at the Caribbean restaurant owned by Jameson. Teddy worked nights and weekends. He enjoyed getting out of the house, earning his own money, and being part of his new community. Arnold was getting out of the house too, but not for work. He spent the evenings gallivanting around the town, going to cocktail bars, 
and experiencing nightlife in the glimmering city of stars. Arnold hadn't gone out since the death of his wife, but he felt like a new man in Los Angeles. He had no anxiety. He drank. He talked with strangers. For the first time in a long time, he lived his life, and nothing could bring him down. Late one Friday night, he mingled at a bar on Sunset Strip. There, he saw a gorgeous woman about his age, wearing a slim black dress, with crimson hair flowing past her shoulders. Without hesitation, Arnold went up to her and introduced himself. Initially, she was shocked by his forwardness, but introduced herself as Anna after the shock wore off. Arnold was not the type of guy she was attracted to. He was geeky. He had no style and was not particularly tall. But something about his confidence compelled her to talk with him. They spent the whole night drinking, dancing, and genuinely enjoying each other's company. Arnold even met her friends that night, who also found him oddly charming. As the night came to a close, he waited with Anna on the street for her cab to arrive. When it finally did, he told her that tonight had been the best night of his life and kissed her on the lips. An ordinary move for most men, but a bold one for Arnold. Although it was uncharacteristic, he didn't care. Win, lose, or draw, he was on top of the world, and he would stay there. He opened the door for Anna, and as soon as he did, she grabbed him by the shirt and ripped him into the cab with her. The two went back to Anna's apartment and spent the entire night making love, something Arnold had only ever done with his wife. The next day, Arnold's happy disposition was propelled to an entirely new level. His walk of shame resembled no such thing as he sang out loud on his way home. He greeted Teddy walking out the front door and going to work. Teddy looked at Arnold with confusion, but said nothing as he hopped on his bike and rode off. At home, Arnold found his tape recorder and began to think out loud. Well, it's Saturday afternoon here in beautiful Los Angeles. I had an amazing time last night, just dancing the night away, and honestly, I feel like a teenager again. Moving here to L.A. was the best decision Teddy and I could have ever made. I just feel like we've been through so much these past few years, and things are finally turning around. It's like there's a guardian angel watching over us, and the blessings are just getting started. Speaking of, I better go check on my painting. Arnold drove directly to Jonathan's gallery and walked straight into his office. Arnold, what are you doing here? Jonathan, how are you, my friend? I'm fine. Did we have a meeting today? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry to show up unannounced, but uh, I just had to hear the latest on my beautiful painting. Where is it? Oh, it's, um, uh, it's upstairs. Good news about the painting. Although we don't know who the artist is, I can tell you that it's old. Very old. Usually, older paintings mean more money. All right, that is good news. How much are we talking? I don't want to speak too soon, but I think it could be in the ballpark of around ten to $20,000. Wow, really? That's great. That's great. I just, uh, I don't know. Well, what is it, Arnold? 
Uh, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I just thought in my head that it would be worth more. <laughs> well, $20,000 for something that could have ended up at a yard sale is a very handsome price. If someone comes along and offers that kind of money, I highly advise you take it. Alrighty, then we'll just have to wait and see what comes along then. But I'm not worried. I trust you, Jonathan. I think you'll find us the best price, and we'll both be rewarded handsomely. Thank you. Arnold extended his hand and shook Jonathan's with enthusiasm. Jonathan was amazed and appalled with Arnold's confidence. He suddenly realized that getting the painting for himself wouldn't be so easy. In the following weeks, Arnold's attitude only grew brighter and more eccentric. Teddy's concern developed into genuine fear over his father's mental state as Arnold became more impulsive and carefree. They had been in the city for over a month, and Arnold still didn't have a job. Not for lack of skill, but because he never bothered looking for one. With his skills in IT, it wouldn't be hard for Arnold to find work. But with a little bit of savings, and a head full of optimism, money wasn't at all a concern. The final straw came on the day when Arnold took a walk down Rodeo Drive. Strutting comfortably, and talking loudly into his tape recorder, he passed a series of designer clothing stores. Well, here I am again on beautiful Rodeo Drive. And I swear this place gets prettier every time I come here. Look at this, you got Louis Vuitton, Fendi, Gucci, Christian Dior. Now in LA, they know a thing or two about class. Say, I could learn a thing or two about class. Look at these old threads. <laughs> Let's see what's in here. Arnold walked into the Fendi store, and his pupils dilated at the selection of expensive shirts pants, and belts they had on display. He bought the most vibrant shirt he could find, and then walked next door to Louis Vuitton. There, he bought one of their signature belts. In Christian Dior, he bought a pair of pants that cost more than most people's rent. And in Gucci, he bought a pair of obnoxious red loafers to match his shirt. He walked out of that store like a new man. His appearance was offensive to the eyes, as well as the wallets of those who spent their money on useful things. But Arnold didn't care. He did as he pleased, for he had a guardian watching over him, protecting him, making sure his life was everything he wanted it to be. A few hours later, Arnold showed up at Jameson's restaurant with a gift for Teddy. Whoa, Arnold. Nice clothes, man. You look like a Will Hollywood star. Well, thank you, Jameson. I feel like one, too. Hey, is Teddy back there? I want to give him something. Yeah, he is. Let me go get him. Hey, Dad. What are you doing here? Jesus Christ, where did you get those clothes? You like my new look? I thought if we were living in the city of stars, might as well look like one, right? Yeah, I guess. Hey, I also got something for you. Arnold handed over a round black box. On it said Tag Hauer. Teddy opened it to reveal a brand new stainless steel aqua racer. A watch Teddy once mentioned was cool looking years ago. Holy shit. Dad, this is too much. You can't afford this. Oh, don't worry about things like money, son. Life's short. We need to enjoy it. And besides, I have a real strong feeling that our luck's going to turn around. It's a new chapter for the roses, and all I see is sunshine. Teddy was left speechless. 
not by the gesture, but by his father's careless attitude about buying such an expensive item. Not only were they living off savings, but the savings were disappearing rapidly due to Arnold's spending. He had put no thought into getting a job, or what would happen next. This behavior was so unlike Arnold, Teddy wanted to confront him about seeking professional help. Instead, he stood there unable to say anything, and watched Arnold walk out the door without a care in the world. Boy, your dad seems like he's really happy. What did he give you? He just gave me a $2,000 watch. What? Why do you even bother working here if he's got money like that? He doesn't. And I'm worried because he's spending money and doing whatever he wants like nothing matters. I've never seen him like this before. Oh man, I've seen things like this before. I hate to say it, but it never ends well. Why do you think he's acting like this? I don't know. Everyone has a different reason. But all I can say is that this is Obia's work. You should find out what's making him act like this and cut it out of his life. Teddy knew he couldn't rely on his father to be responsible and plan ahead. So he decided to pay Jonathan a visit and follow up on his promises about the painting. Teddy, what are you doing here? Hi, Mr. McCormick. I came here to speak with you. Can we talk in your office for a minute? Yes, of course. Come with me. Jonathan brought Teddy back to his office, where they sat face to face. Already, Jonathan could sense far more stability in Teddy than Arnold, which made him feel a lot more comfortable with the unannounced visit. What's on your mind, Teddy? You look concerned. Yeah, it's my dad. I thought it might be. Tell me, what's going on with him? Well... He's just been acting really reckless ever since we got here. I think he has a lot invested in that painting. Like, he thinks it's going to make us rich or something. Let me make it very clear that I did not promise any such thing. Yeah, I know. I just need to know that he's going to get at least something for it. It would kill him if it was worthless. The way he's been spending money. I hear what you're saying, and I can assure you that the painting is worth at least in the tens of thousands. You and your father will not leave here empty-handed. Thank you, Mr. McCormick. Just then, Jonathan's secretary poked her head through the door and announced the arrival of an important client. Oh, I'm sorry, Teddy. I urgently have to handle this. We can discuss this further if you would like to wait. Yeah, sure. Teddy looked around the office and found himself in awe of the marvelous works of art in it. Teddy didn't know anything about art, but even he could tell that Jonathan's collection was impressive. While looking around the room, he noticed the edge of a frame poking out from behind a cabinet, a piece clearly not on display, but tucked away and out of sight. Teddy pulled it out and discovered it was none other than his father's painting. What was it doing here in Jonathan's office? Why was it hidden, but so easily accessible? He must have been looking at it in secret, obsessing over it just like Arnold. It then occurred to Teddy that there was an unnatural quality to this painting, something about it that would capture the minds of certain people and slowly drive them mad. If this thing was capable of grasping Jonathan like this, what was it doing to Arnold? Teddy then realized what he must do. A few minutes later, Jonathan returned to find Teddy gone. Surprised he didn't want to stay and discuss the painting's financial future, Jonathan was also relieved to have Teddy out of his hair. By the time Teddy had left Jonathan's gallery, 
Arnold had arrived at a different kind of gallery. A Porsche dealership to be specific. Arnold's mind was set on fully immersing himself in a high-class lifestyle. He had the look. Now he just needed the ride. He spent the very last of his savings on the down payment for a Porsche Panamera. He didn't care that leasing an expensive car was like throwing money out the window. He figured by the time the lease was up, the painting would have sold for so much it wouldn't even matter. The avalanche of wealth coming Arnold's way would secure his future, and Teddy's future, as upper-class members of society. They would never have to worry about money, or anything, ever again. Arnold drove that car off the lot like a man truly alive. He felt completely secure in his fate. Nothing could stop him. Nothing could harm him. He sped down the freeway with ecstasy coursing through his veins. There was nowhere he couldn't go, and nothing he couldn't do. All he wanted in that moment was to be close to the water. So to Venice Beach he went, with his top back blazing down the 405. He turned onto West Washington Boulevard, and the smell of cool ocean air filled his nostrils. Arnold could see the ocean ahead of him, like a thousand black diamonds glistening under the night sky. To be close to the water wasn't enough. Arnold wanted to feel it, to taste it. The closer he got, the stronger his urge to just plunge. He drove straight ahead and did not want to stop. So he didn't and went over the sidewalk and onto the Venice Fishing Pier. Full of excitement and anticipation for whatever was to come next, the Guardian was in control now, and Arnold was just along for the ride. He got to the end of the pier and thrusted his foot one last time on the gas. The car was launched off the end of the pier and met the water with an enormous splash. Arnold slowly floated toward the surface as the car sank down into the depths below. Not knowing how to swim, Arnold was at the complete mercy of the ocean. He let the waves and currents carry him wherever he was meant to go, for he knew he was in no danger, with his guardian looking over him, making sure everything would be all right. Calm and relaxation were the only things Arnold felt as he glided gently through the water didn't know which way was up or down, away or toward, but it didn't matter. As Arnold kicked his leg out in a random direction, he felt soft sand brush up against his toe. Before he knew it, he was walking upright towards the shore, laughing hysterically at his fortune. Without a doubt in his mind, Arnold knew he was blessed and felt totally invincible to ill fate. He had to share this discovery with someone, and who better to share it with than Jonathan? In his office getting ready to leave, Jonathan took one last sip of scotch before putting on his coat. Just as he was about to walk out the door, Arnold barged in soaking wet, with a frightfully happy expression on his face. Jonathan! Just the man I wanted to see. Arnold, my God, what... what happened to you? Life. 
Life happened to me, Jonathan. For the first time ever, I feel alive. Arnold, you look insane right now. You know that, right? Your clothes are all ripped and you are soaking wet. Please tell me what happened to you. <laughs> uh, you're not going to believe this, but I went to the Porsche dealership today and I bought myself a brand new Panamera fresh off the lot. Okay, good for you. But that doesn't explain the state that you're in right now. <laughs> well, that's the funny part. I got in the car and started driving and I just wanted to be near the ocean, close to the water. So I went to Venice Beach and when I got there, I saw it. The ocean, the water, it was just so beautiful. And the car, the car was just taking me closer and closer. I didn't want to stop, so I didn't. <laughs> then I hopped the curb onto the fishing pier and just kept going. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Arnold, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you want to know the really funny part? <laughs> can't swim. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I have a guardian, Jonathan. A guardian looking over me, making sure that everything's going to be okay. What the fuck are you talking about? He saved me from drowning. He saved my life in every way. He showed me how to live again, how to love again, how to enjoy my life again. I'm blessed, and I'm going to share my blessings with everyone. With Teddy? With you? Arnold, do you hear how crazy you sound right now? Where are you getting these outrageous ideas from? The painting! Come on, Jonathan. You know that thing's special. It's got to be worth millions, billions of dollars. And that's just the start. Who knows what comes after that? But don't you worry. I won't leave you behind, Jonathan. The Guardian is a generous being, and so am I. Smoldering rage filled Jonathan's eyes as they sat locked on Arnold from across the room. Hateful thoughts about the man he was staring at consumed his brain, to the point where Jonathan lost all composure. You idiot, you moron, you simple fool! How dare you actually believe he gives his blessings to you! Do you really think you deserve to own such a precious thing? Well, it doesn't matter what you think, because it's mine, and I'm not giving it up for nothing. Arnold, I'm going to write you a check for $100,000 to keep the painting. After that, I want you to walk out of here, and I never want to see you again. No way. I'm not selling it for that chump change. It's not even worth that much. If it wasn't worth that much, you wouldn't be handing it over then. You know what? Forget this. I'm taking my painting back. Where is it? Jonathan turned to the corner of the room where he had stashed the painting away behind the cabinet. When he saw it was missing, he froze. What? What is it? Jonathan walked slowly to the cabinet and found a paper in the place where the painting had once been. It read, Sorry, Jonathan. Had to take the painting back. I don't like what it's doing to you and my dad. Probably better if no one has it. Teddy. Arnold, where is your son? At home, probably. Why? He has the painting, and I think he wants to destroy it. The two ran quickly to Jonathan's car and raced to Arnold's house in hopes of retrieving the painting. When they pulled up to the house, they found Teddy sitting on the roof, with the painting sitting next to him, and a knife in his hand. 
Teddy, put the painting down and get off of the roof. No, I won't. This thing is evil. Look at what it's doing to you two. Teddy, I can promise you it's not. Just put it down and get down here. It is, Dad. I'm telling you, this thing's been making you crazy. It will never end, no matter how much you sell it for. Please, Teddy, just put the knife down and bring the painting to me. I won't let your father have anything to do with it. Hey, that's my painting. I'll decide who gets to keep it. I'm sorry, you guys, but I have to do this. Teddy thrusted the knife into the canvas and slashed through it fiercely. Arnold and Jonathan shrieked in horror, as if the knife had sliced into their own flesh. With the first slash through the canvas, a peculiar thing happened. The head of the angelic figure began to change. Thin black hairs began to sprout from its chin, and its ears began to elongate. Teddy struck the knife through again, and horns pierced out the top of the angel's head. By now the shrieking had stopped, as Arnold and Jonathan looked on in pure terror. For the angel they had both worshipped, and entrusted with their fates, was not an angel at all, but an imposter, bearing the head of a goat. Another slashing blow from Teddy's blade turned the heavenly blue sky into pits of fire, and another transformed the being's body into a shirtless woman's, with one hand pointing two fingers up and the other pointing two fingers down. Large black wings stretched out from its back as Arnold and Jonathan dropped to their knees, surrendering to the entity before them. The two men knelt in bottomless sorrow. Their pasts, presents, and futures crushed by a demonic wrath. Teddy smashed the frame on the roof and threw the pieces of wood and canvas onto the ground below. Arnold wept sadly for a few moments before getting up, stepping over the painting, and going inside the house. Jonathan got up and clung onto the broken pieces before scooping them up, bringing them to his car, and driving off. That fateful night brought the worlds of both men to a screeching halt. Arnold lay on the couch, staring at the ceiling for the rest of the night. He hadn't felt like this since the death of Teddy's mother. The manic high Arnold had been on since moving to Los Angeles was gone completely, and hopelessness presented itself once again. Teddy felt immense guilt for what he had just done, but he knew there was no other choice. He had already lost one parent and could not afford to lose another. The following months painted a completely different picture from what the last month had predicted. Although the beginning was tough, Teddy eventually motivated his father to get a job. Arnold took a position at an internet security company and began having a normal schedule. He made friends at work, and even though his life was not as lavish as it once was, he started to enjoy it again. Teddy applied to schools in the area and got into UCLA, his first choice. There, he studied psychology and visited his father on the weekends. Teddy and Arnold had always been close, but now their bond was stronger than ever. Not much was heard of Jonathan McCormick after that. It was known that a new director took over at the art house, but Jonathan drifted deeper and deeper into obscurity. Once rivals, Jonathan and Arnold, 
competing for the attention of a nameless guardian, now strangers with entirely different life trajectories. Jonathan's strong will, causing him to clutch tightly at what once was, and Arnold's soft soul, allowing him to be saved by the grace of God. The Roses understood true sorrow and experienced blind hope. Arnold had felt what it was like to feel invincible under a higher power and thought that the rest of his life would be like that. But maybe outrageous blessings were not what Arnold and Teddy needed. Maybe a life of humility was the greatest blessing of all. On the way into work one day, Arnold stopped by his regular cafe for a coffee. When he walked in, he saw a familiar face. Anna, from his wild night on Sunset Boulevard, recognized him immediately and said hello. They talked, and Arnold discovered she worked in a nearby office, also in the field of IT. They agreed to continue their conversation over cocktails after work. Arnold then went into his office feeling the same optimism he once did, the hope of a brighter tomorrow. Although the rain did pour heavily at times, the sun would find a way to shine on the roses 